surprised? You forgot, my dear, that you and Frank are ordinary people with limited mental capacities. You couldn't possibly compete with a fully developed, powerful brain. It's Friday. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Friday 12. Hey, Cheesy. Whoa, what up? Friday. <laughs> How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Good. What are we listening to? We are listening to a call. I think they are actual birds. Because the name is A-K-A-W. They're out of Austin. Uh, surf band, obviously. Yeah, I like it. Couple of, couple of tracks from them this week. So this one is Bird Brain. And uh, the one at the end of the show is El Guapo. <laughs> Very good. Well, uh, we're joined by a special cast of characters. I'll bring in the mumble room first this time. Hello, Brent, Bite, and Jill. Good to have you here. Well, hello, hello. Beep, boop. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. And then a shout out to Drew and Wes. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Hey, hey, hey. Hi, hi, hi. And a very special welcome to the show for the first time, Jackie. Good afternoon. I'm sure you're wondering why I've called you all here today. <laughs> I have been. Yes, I have been. <laughs> I, I mean, we might as well hang out and do a show while we're here, though, right? May as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jackie, thanks for making it. Uh, she's joined us today. She is part of the Rooster Teeth community. She's been all over the web for years. She's married to the wonderful Drew. She is an artist, a podcaster, runs Linux on her laptop, loves to play little video games, and is hanging out on the Friday stream with us. Jackie, that is fantastic. Thank you for making it. Thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. And in part, it was because there's something behind the scenes that the team has been arguing about for months, and we've decided to air this grievance in the Friday stream. And uh, you're going to help us articulate the other side, because we like to be fair and balanced. Well, we'll see about that when we get into this, but we all hate time zones. Hate them. Well, not all of us, but I hate time zones, and I think they need to go away. I think time zones, daylight savings, all of it needs to go away. It all needs to be completely revamped. Drew, am I right? You are 100% correct. And personally, I think that is just a terrible idea. Honestly, one of your worst. If we were ever to move to a universal time zone, it would make Dolly Parton's nine to five irrelevant. And I, that's not a world I want to live in. <laughs> I don't mean to cause marital uh, issues here, guys, but uh, <laughs> this is, this is, this is going to be an issue we've got to solve here on the show. Uh, and Wes is here in ambivalence, I believe. Right, Wes? Yeah. I mean, maybe I can be the arbiter in this discussion. I will also add, you know, the way, just because of what we do, we deal with time zones more than I think many people. If you live and work in one time zone and only know people in one time zone, it's probably not that bad. We really run into problems when it's like, we have to deal with like six of them in any one day. That is no excuse. That just is like, that's just saying like, well, yeah, that, that cruel dictator's tyranny doesn't affect me. So therefore, I don't need to worry about it. I, uh, I say, in fact, if it doesn't affect you, it's your responsibility even more so. Okay. What's your, what's your plan then? Well, there is a plan. Oh, I got a plan. <laughs> Wes, I'm a man with, actually, it's not, it's not my plan. It's a plan covered over by the Washington Post to destroy all time zones. And uh, they won't let you read it if you're blocking ads, <laughs> FYI. So if you're trying to read the post doing a live show and you've left your ad blocker running, um, you won't be able to read it on air, FYI. So somebody else could tell 
tell me what their plan is, I suppose. But they say there is a plan. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> this stupid ad blocking stuff. It's the worst. It really is. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, um, Drew, do you have a do you have the uh, essentials of this plan? Since there's a, even though I've now disabled my ad blocker, I cannot read this plan because I have sinned. <laughs> yeah. So essentially, what the idea is is to just get rid of all time zones, get rid of the idea that time is different here than there. So you know, East Coast, West Coast, London, India. It doesn't matter where you are; it's all the same time. So. You take UTC, which is, you know, universal coordinated time or coordinated universal time or uh, depending on what language you're speaking, it's a little different. But you take UTC and apply it everywhere. So zero o'clock is zero o'clock around the world and we just have global time. That's it. I mean, it's, it's astoundingly simple. So I did a little, I did very little research, uh, but I did do a little bit. And I am actually kind of familiar at least where time zones came into the U.S. in a big way was when the train system was being implemented and you would leave a town at one time and you would arrive at another town that may be the same time you left at. It could be really arbitrary because essentially it was each individual town's responsibility to set the local time. And it didn't really matter because communications were so slow and so low bandwidth that it didn't really cause much of a conflict. But as higher speed transportation became more and more common, there needed to be a way to all speak the same time language. And, you know, that's that was our solution here in the States. There's been solutions all over the world, but it just seems like it was um, like an old solution. Like if you were to start today, like if we were to move to a planet and colonize that planet – would we implement this same same system? Honestly, I'm, do you think we would? I think we would. Uh, and the reason why I think so is because time is essentially a social construct. Um, as you said, time was, uh, keeping time rather, was uh, created by railroad companies because they needed um, something basically to organize the mess that was railroad schedules. Um but time in terms of the time of day and the time on a watch kind of creates a, a linear social structure for relating to other people in other places. So if I were to say eight in the morning to you, Chris, who's three hours behind me, uh, you would understand what that means uh, colloquially. I agree there. But, but couldn't you just swap out that? With, uh, say, we developed a common language around the progress of the decaying atom that we use to set clocks. Like, what if we just had, I will see you in 500 cycles, or, you know, at 500 decay cycles, uh, we'll meet for breakfast. And it doesn't matter where you're at, because that atom's decaying at the same rate. Well, you're kind of overthinking it there, because you can just say five hours, and the five hours will be the same, and everybody meets up at the same time. But what if you need something that's like way, way – the thing about the atom decay, here's why I like it, is because it's time and date in one instantiation. So you could say, I'll meet you at 1,000 decay cycles. Well, that could be three days, four hours at 8 a.m. You know, like it could be very specific for anybody anywhere in the world. I, I like that, but come on, we can't even get metric right in the U.S. <laughs> well, well, the smartphone would actually just do it for you. It would be an app. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, I, I think you just want star dates. Yeah, you're right, Wes. 
I, I, Wes, Wes, I actually backwards my way from Stardate, thinking if we could have Stardates, how would we actually pull it off? And that's how I got to that. <laughs> well, I think Chris brings up a really valid point, too. Like, uh, you know, eventually when we do travel to Mars, what, what time are we going to be using on our ships? Is it going to be Houston time? I mean, I, I don't think so, right? Whenever we, whenever we do travel in space, it's going to have to be some sort of a, a unit of decay or some sort of a measurement like that, right? Well, the issue is that you're essentially only looking at it as a, a system of uh, time from now rather than a time in terms of where the sun is at in, term, in, in position of where you are on the planet. Uh, that, that's going to affect the way people live their lives day to day. So, uh, you know, Drew was mentioning when he and I were talking about this before, switching to a 24-hour system with a universal time zone and and I get how that is simplistic in terms of not having to account for time zones when you're thinking about other people around the world. However, you do actually have to account for time zones and what other people are doing in other places of the world when you think about what hours businesses are open in uh, a city on the other side of the world. What what hour, you know, somebody is actually awake on the other side of the world. It, you still have to do all that math. You still actually have to account for everything there. Uh, the time zones set and structured actually give you that that formula already. If you were to take that away, then you're going to have to come up with that formula on your own. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I'm not saying that uh, this would work, but wouldn't it be just fascinating for like a year if we could say the whole world runs off of Pacific time, I become ruler of the world and I make the entire world run off Pacific time. And that means if you're up at 7 p.m. getting up out of bed and making breakfast, uh, whatever, like if it's dark, like we shift everything. Everybody just follows one time zone. I just I think it'd be a fascinating experiment, but it would never happen until I'm ruler of the world. Because you're right. The issue is, is you have to accommodate for people being awake or business hours. Well, coincidentally, China did try that. And uh, China eliminated some time zones, and apparently they have had very bad luck with it. Um, with a single time, they've not fully succeeded. There uh, have been regional and local opening and closing hours for government offices and businesses that have had to be posted multiple places and still cause huge, you know, traffic jams, literally and figuratively. And it has just caused a huge massive problem all over the place because people have such a problem adjusting to it. Mm-hmm. That doesn't surprise me. The robots won't have this issue. <laughs> well, exactly. Exactly. When I think, you know, you bring up that, you bring up that point too, and it also, you know, goes into the human psyche and your circadian rhythm and how your body, you know, your sleep cycles are adjusted by these time zones. Um, and they did something very similar in, uh, India in the, um, during uh, the leg legacy of the British rule is the IST, which is uh, an India standard time. So while India's you know three thousand kilometers wide from east to west um, would be like the equivalent of New York to Utah in time zones, they follow one specific time zone, and it has been known to have adverse effects on people's uh, circadian rhythms. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, you may start messing with when people are awake and stuff like that. Yeah, it, we all just need to nap more. Yeah. That's the lesson learned there. Let's just nap more. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well. And now, on with the show. Do you guys remember me telling you about the story of this uh, 
old lady that came to the junkyard and wanted to walk around the barn and talk about how she used to live there and stuff? Oh, yeah. So Hadia and I decided to go to the gym in the evening, uh, I think Monday night, just to go sit in the hot tub. And we pull into the parking lot, and it's just a half hour before the, before the gym closes. And there's one other car in the parking lot. And this car is unmistakably hers because it is a Ford Bronco 2 with the top chopped. It's got no back. It's got no top. It does still have the side windows. And then it has probably six antlers affixed to it. Oh, boy. As as well as what appear to be something like dishes or other accoutrements that have been painted gold and then are fastened to it. So it's a very recognizable vehicle. This sounds like the setup for a story that would be on one of my shows. <laughs> this is a real story. This gal is an intense lady. She, one afternoon, just a quick recap for you, Jackie, since we're here, one afternoon we have a gate, and we just sometimes leave it open if we're coming and going a lot or the kids are coming and going. And we had it open, and there's, you know, kids, three kids and a dog in the yard. And this gal starts just bombing into our, into our, in, there's not a driveway really, it's just a yard, bombing into our yard, driving into the grass, and then stops her vehicle and just starts rambling about how she's on a spiritual journey, and the energy of that journey has led her to the junkyard where she used to live. It's a really a barnyard, but we call it the junkyard. She wanted to know if it'd be okay if she could go in and reconnect with the energy of the barn, and then she took Hadia and the kids through and told her all kinds of crazy stories. Yeah, sounds totally normal. Yeah. Yeah, so she's very intense, and I'm going to get my chill on at the gym in the hot tub thinking it's going to be me and uh, you know a few other folks at most and I get there and she's the only other car in the parking lot and I, I stop Hadi and I say we can't go in Hadi's like she don't know where she is and then I'm like babe where do you think she's going to be she's like in her <laughs> 70s she's not in there lifting weights you know where she's going to be <laughs> yeah <laughs> And she's like, it'll be fine. It's not going to be a big deal. I'm like, uh-huh. and she's like, all right, she's in the hot tub. We'll just go sit in the sauna, okay? I'm like, okay, all right. Well, so we go in there, and you know, we both go off into our individual lockers, and we come out in the pool at the same time. The doors open up, and sure enough, the gal, the, the spiritual gal, is she's in the pool right next to the hot tub. They're, they, they share the same wall, so it's literally she's right next to the hot tub, but not in the hot tub. And we're across the room from each other because we've just entered from our individual lockers, which are across the pool. And so we have to like decide, do we go to the sauna or the hot tub? Because she's not technically in the hot tub, but she is near the hot tub. And in, you don't want to be weird, and you want to be in the hot tub. That's why you're there. So we both go for the hot tub, and we sit down. And for the first few minutes, it was fine. It was fine. Then the gal starts like she's like looking at Hadia. She doesn't she doesn't really recognize me, but she, I think she recognizes Hadia. And she's smiling, and you can tell she's trying to put it together. She's not sure if she should start talking to us, and she's kind of talking to herself a little bit and exercising in the pool, just basically stretching out, you know, staying healthy. And so Hadia and I are sitting there for like five ten minutes. And mind you, now you know we've had to pack up our swimming stuff, drive to the gym, go in the locker. Get naked in public in the locker, change, go get in their stupid shower, then go sit in the hot tub. Now we're in the hot tub for like 10 minutes. We're kind of looking at each other. We're like, let's, let's bail. Let's get out of here. Because she's <laughs> starting to talk to us. Let's get out of here. So we go sit in the sauna for a few minutes and then left. <laughs> Ouch. How convinced are you that this is not Dr. Reverend? This is what I was just going to say. I'm not even joking. I'm not even playing around. I was literally going to say, what if this is the Reverend messing with me? I mean, you never called her back, right? She has every right to be mad at you. I know. 
That is exactly what crossed my mind. She could tune into JB and realize that there's a rover log. All it would take is her just doing a little bit of Googling, put a couple of things together. Consult with her crystals. That's the other thing to consider. Maybe she does have high superpowers and she was able to locate me. <laughs> all I know is this lady's showing up all over the place, including driving into my yard. And I've been a member at this gym for a year now. And this is the first time ever. And I went, I just, I decided on a rando night to go there and out of nowhere, she's there. So Jackie, you're a podcaster, huh? What do you do? Uh, I have a podcast called Sirens of Scream. It's uh, about all things horror related. We've, uh, we've been going for about three years now. Really? I think, I think Drew mentioned to me recently that you guys got a ban on Twitter temporarily too. What'd you do? Yes. <laughs> what, how'd you, how'd you get that? Well, there are these filmmakers, the uh, Soska uh, twins, uh, Jen and Sylvia Soska. Um, they are they're fantastic uh, writers and uh, develop uh, producers, developers, directors. Uh, they were actually banned from Twitter for promoting their new movie, Rabid, uh, which is a, a remake of a, an old Cronenberg movie. And the imagery they used was just a little bit too gory for Twitter's algorithm. So they instantly got a ban from that. Uh, so being horror fanatics that we are, we mentioned on Twitter uh, that, you know, the Soskas were banned for this. And, you know, that's that's pretty terrible. <laughs> that's kind of some really stupid censorship that, you know, they would be banned for that because they had been banned for a couple weeks and did not get any kind of response from Twitter uh, on how to get their account back. Uh, so we mentioned that one time, and then the next day, we go to sign into our Twitter, and suddenly our account is gone. And you're banned. Yeah. Holy smokes. Yeah. So now, um, not only is our account gone, we've been trying for well over, I think, about two weeks now uh, to, to get our account back with literally no response from anybody on Twitter at all. We've tried so many different uh, venues there to get to them. Now watch us get banned. <laughs> We're going to get banned. <laughs> uh, but we uh, actually reached out to the Soska twins, and they're coming on our show next week to talk about it. Where do people find that? Uh, that's that's going to be on sirenswithscream.com. Uh, we actually went ahead and started a new Twitter account this morning uh, at, at Sirens Podcast, which I'm personally so annoyed that we had to do, but... And if they if that gets banned, you know, then they're really going after you. I know, right? It's it's incredibly annoying, but at the same time, I'm really glad that that Soskas are going to come on and, and speak to us about it. They have a lot to say about the censorship censorship issue in general and uh, the whole Twitter escapade. So we're kind of excited to talk about it. It's just annoying how we got there. From from horror movies to Twitter dra- banning drama, which nobody ever wants to get wrapped up in. Yeah. Well, good luck. I hope you get your account back because it's a, it's a good way to connect with the audience. So that's as a as a fellow podcaster, I feel you on that one. That that really is awful. It's like not 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 that it like end of the podcast or anything like that, but it doesn't make your job any easier. Yeah, yeah. Luckily for us, our Twitter following was only a fraction of our actual listeners. Um, so we we do need to grow our audience anyway on Twitter. So. It's it's not it's not starting completely over there, but it is a it is a hurdle. It is a, it is a problem. Things have changed. I tell you, it's interesting because uh, algorithms and automated uh, censorship systems. I just two, two, 2019 has both been like one of my best years in computing, and also one of the most frustrating. 
It's it's that and that's part of one of the frustrating things. Like there's nice things too. Like operating systems are getting kind of exciting again. Like after a lull from everybody paying attention to mobile and virtualizations getting better and more capable than ever and containers make it possible for average guys like me to do average stuff. I mean, Wes, you know, you and I have been talking about this for weeks now off air about how cool I think computers are actually getting again. Yeah, I mean, there are just a lot of useful things. There's many different platforms that are all evolving, all being developed. It's interesting. We don't have as much control, I think, of all those things as we want. That's, you know, we have to be a little skeptical of where we actually invest in, but there's a lot to be excited about. Yeah, you're right. You do, you do have to be a little more careful than you used to could. Um, and Cheesy and I were talking about time capsules. We have some links in the show notes about an MIT time capsule that's not even going to be opened until 2957. Super, super cool. So this is right around the – it was in the 50s, right around the same time as the launch of the Sputnik um, and our race to space. Um, and essentially what they did is whenever they opened this laboratory on MIT, they built a time capsule. But knowing that when time capsules are buried in metal boxes or wooden boxes, they often fail and the contents are mush and so it's moot to even have buried the time capsule. Well, MIT being MIT figured out a way to do this and they created their time capsule out of glass and then they filled the before it was before the 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 glass vessel was sealed, they filled it with argon gas um to help, you know, prevent any sort of decay uh within the time capsule. <laughs> That's clever. Tons of interesting stuff, and, and apparently this is just one of several that are buried all over the MIT campus. They did one whenever they got their cyclotron installed. Um, this when, when this particular uh, capsule uh, was buried, it was also um, around the same time the first IBM mainframe was coming online at MIT. 1957, yeah. Yeah, so this is really kind of, you know, the way I think of it is almost like the George Jetson era, everybody is getting pumped up, new tech is, you know, flowing, things are happening. And so it's better time than now to document it, you know, super cool. Yeah, it is a good, that is a good idea, right? Because we'll have more, we could, it'd be interesting if we could sort of add on, or like we could document, interpret it how we see it, and then all along mm. until the final date, right? Because each society is going to have different interpretations. And then by the end of it, it's going to be very different. It'll be interesting to see if humans are even around in 2957. <laughs> yeah, let's hope. I agree with that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I think what we need is a blockchain-based time capsule. Oh, exactly. That we can always be adding to. <laughs> well, why don't we do a little time capsule uh, ourselves? There was actually a discussion this week in User Air that got me thinking about storage. I'll play just a clip from User Air. The, the whole episode's, as always, really good. So go to air.show to get that. But there was the discussion about how the guys store their files if they use the default folders, um, it was a question that came in from the audience. And Joe just has a toss-away line in here that when I thought about it, I thought, this is a whole conversation in Friday's stream. Well, I've got a good excuse for never using the default folders, and that is that I generally have my OS on a small, fast drive, and then all my stuff on a slower, bigger drive. And that used to be a SATA SSD and a spinning Rust. Um, now it's kind of NVMe and SATA or whatever. Uh, I just generally, or I have it on a different partition or whatever, I, I just have never got into the habit of using default folders. Uh, I like to do it. I don't like to be told how I'm going to use my computer. That's why I don't like elementary OS, I'm afraid. <laughs> so the thing he said in there that struck me was, you know, I'll put my 
OS on a SSD and then my files on a big spinning rust. But now I put my file, I put my OS on an MVNE and my files on an SSD. And how fast, once SSDs hit the market, storage has changed in a way that makes the last 30 years look like this slow, arduous trek. And then all of a sudden, storage exploded. And I want to talk about my old crazy-ass expensive storage setups, old removable disk technology like zip drives. I want to get your stories, but I only have about the last 30-plus years worth of experience. I thought maybe what we should do is with some, some help, from the Computer Chronicles, go back in time a little bit and cover the very early days of storage that I didn't even exist for, so I don't have any experience with, to help us appreciate where we're at right now. It's a quick clip on really old storage tech. Progress in the field of mass memory storage for computers has been directed by three basic needs, volume and density of information, and speed of access to that information. In the 1950s, computer data storage borrowed the recording technology being used by sound engineers, magnetic tape. Like its earliest predecessor, the wire recorder, oxide tape stored data sequentially. To reach information stored at the end of a reel meant running through everything stored on the tape up to that point. Short of faster tape drives, the only way to make data more accessible was to change the format of the recording medium. Disk storage, which allowed random access to information, was already under development in the mid-50s, but the popularity and potential of this technique became clear only in the last decade. The original 24-inch platters shrank to only 5 and a quarter inches in diameter, while bit density increased 3,900 times, from a few thousand bits to almost 8 million bits per square inch. The improvements that led to that advance have today given way to new approaches that promise yet another dramatic increase in storage density. Thin film heads are smaller, more sensitive read-write heads made possible by technology developed in chip manufacturing. Because of their tinier components, they can read bits recorded much closer together on narrower tracks, about 12 million per square inch. Another development called perpendicular recording magnetizes the disk surface with vertically recorded pulses, data bits recorded on end instead of arranged horizontally. Once again, the effect is dramatic. This small change in the alignment of data means a two- to three-fold increase in storage capacity. When we think about advances in computing, we often think about mobility, battery, connectivity, display, and we all appreciate storage is important. But the thing that's hard to appreciate now in 2019 that was very much the case, say, like in 85, early 80s, the personal computer, the computer we could all use and the ones that would go on office desks, we could not really figure out a way to properly at mass use them with large software without some form of storage. They called it initially backup storage, but it needed to be offline storage. It was called backup storage because it was storage you could use that, that wasn't uh, cleared when the system was powered off. That's where the floppy drive and other mechanisms became very popular. And then eventually actual spinning hard drives. And that made computers capable of using much more complicated, sophisticated software, generating data with that software, and the user be able to go back, manipulate it, and gain value from it. It's really hard to understate how critically important storage was to making modern computing approachable by the masses. And I remember my first big hard drive that connected up to my Mac Plus 
was a 30 megabyte drive that was loud and slow. And it it was a game changer for me. It meant that I could have games installed. I could have an operating system that wasn't based off of a floppy disk that was so much faster than a floppy disk. My early computing was all based on floppy disks for very or cartridges, depending on the system, for a very long time. And getting built-in storage was such a game changer. Do you remember like your early amounts of storage you had to work with, Cheesy? My very first, my 486 had a, I think a 340 megabyte drive in it. Yeah. Um, and then I remember upgrading to a whopping one gigabyte drive after my like fourth CD burner because, you know, they went like 2X, 4X, 8X, 16X, 900X. Oh, yeah. But yeah, and then the one gigabyte. And then when I went to college, um, I picked up my first 20 gigabyte drive, Seagate drive, I believe it was, um, IDE drive. And of course, anyone that had ever been in IDE land and had occasionally been rushing to put their machine back together and misaligned the pins and the plug, and then you had to end up bending a pin. And so you had to go with like tweezers and kind of straighten the pin back out, but not break it. And then or, or get everything set up and realize your jumper was wrong because you still had to set jumpers on your drives back then. Master, slave, they have the auto select, which never worked right. But, you know, cable position, which I never trusted. I never trusted that. <laughs> Absolutely, dude. Absolutely. And then it went on for me, you know. So whenever I got into college, one of the things um, at the Art Institute that we were doing, we were doing early video editing on toasters, essentially. Um, and we had jazz drives. Well, they were great at school and a jazz a jazz disc held one gigabyte of data and it could fit in your pocket which was ridiculous at the time all right hold on i want to come back to uh, jazz disc because i got a thing on that too but first i want to hear jackie do you have early days of limited computer storage and trying to you know keep track of files and like homework for me was like a big one like i'd have homework floppy disks <laughs> i used to carry around an unreasonably uh awkward external hard drive uh, with uh, shows and music on it so that I could actually have shows and music to listen to and watch to at work. Hey, you got to And you got to move those big files around somehow. Yep. <laughs> that was basically <laughs> the only only good way at that time. <laughs> oh, man. Still sometimes, depending on what you're moving, not the worst way. Drew, I, I imagine you've probably got a few stories about early days of limited storage. Five and a quarter floppies, baby. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, e yeah, everybody remembers the uh, the floppy disk, even if they didn't have to use one. Everybody has a visual of it. Oh, yeah. But no, I mean, beyond the Commodore 64, once we got into like, you know, 386s and whatnot, the, the small drives and not being able to fit everything on there. And then the thing that I think I remember most keenly, though, is going to install Doom 2. And it came on like eight floppy disks. You know, these were the, the smaller <laughs> floppies, but you know, put one in, wait about 10 minutes for it to copy all the data over. Okay, next oops, disk. Oops, 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 oops. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. One thing that has not been improved upon with the advances in storage, though, is how satisfying it is to push that floppy disk into the slot, though. Is the <laughs> Couldn't agree more. We should talk about, okay, so let's talk about how removable storage kind of developed. You heard Cheesy there mentioned a little bit. And CD-ROMs, like what we have now is the CD, it's so simple. Yeah, just, it's a CD. It's just, it's a, it's, you don't ask, is it a CD plus R? Is it a CD RAM? But early on, optical media wasn't a slam dunk. And there was like an advocacy group that was trying to convince the public it was a good idea. 
Still in its infancy, this industry is faced with several different standards, from 120mm read-only CD-ROMs to several kinds of 130mm or 5.25 inch writable discs. But as we've been saying, these CD-ROMs were slow, they didn't store a bunch, there was a bunch of different formats. So then you had this other type of removable storage. It really evolved over the years. Some were enterprise-grade, some were more focused at creative professionals. And uh, the one that really took off, like in the graphics arts division in schools, it, it became infamous later on in its life. And I have a clip here of the, uh, one of the original iOmega Zip commercials. Ladies and gentlemen, we are flying in the Bermuda Triangle, a place where things are known to disappear and are never found. Now, fortunately, we have an iOmega zip drive on board, and with it I can make a quick copy of all my important stuff. The 100 megabyte zip disk let me save, store, and take all my stuff with me. No need to panic. Okay, boys, let's take her back in. Hello? Get an iOmega zip drive today, because it's your stuff. Yeah, 100 megabytes. And then, <laughs> and then they came out with the jazz drive, which could go up to a gigabyte. And you have to appreciate these things. They were like large, single platter disks in a floppy-shaped cartridge with external drives that would all hook up over various means, SCSI, parallel, USB, all these different kinds of connection methods. And they were loud. And the one that my family ended up on was the SciQuest line of drives. I loved these. Uh, they came in 44 and 88 megabytes initially. And it's one of those items where I associate like this fond nostalgia with the sound of it. So I want to share it with you because I heard this a thousand times in my youth where you would slide this big disc in, lock it into place, and then you'd have to – I'll play it for you. It's so great. I got, I got audio of it because I love it. Okay, here it goes. It's in the drive now. Isn't that great? Oh, man. Spin it up. First click in, now it's locked. This is the 88 megabyte one, you can tell because it's a little louder. Now you have to wait through all of this, all this searching. Still not ready to mount yet. Now you can mount it right now. And the, the, this, now you, there it goes, and eject. That's the lock coming out, and then you can eject the drive. It, you can tell it's working. It's kind of nice, right? Like with these NVMEs, you have no idea what they're doing. It is nice. And I like that as it pulls out of the, it just sounds so great. It's just the whole thing is, it's classic. Well, and I think that throws back to the nostalgia of the floppy as well, you know, but man, oh God, I remember those drives so much. And the bottom of the platter had like four pins and that's what would the the actual drive would connect in because it spun at such high RPM, and that first click, I don't know if you remember, especially on the jazz drives, was that metal door mm -hmm. that covered the, the optical tape bit, and it would fling open and lock into place. Ugh. Yeah, I had a little cover door on the cartridge. I would have, my mom would have old ones that she no longer, like she'd upgrade, and I would take her old ones, and I'd make, like, this would be this set of games, and this would be this set of music files, and I would use these, and then if I wanted to go play a game, I'd have to go, like, to my, to my shelf and pick out the SideQuest drive that would be in these little foam cartridges, and then put, 
do you remember too, like uh, the zip drives were so popular for a while that people are actually pulling out the floppy drive in their PC tower and putting the zip drive in its place? Yep. Or you could even buy a tower with with one instead of a floppy. Right. I totally had an integrated zip on one of my computers. Did you? Oh, yeah. Oh, good times. Good times. And then, then, then the click of death came to the zip drives. So when I was at art school, I lost so many projects to the sound I'm sure we're about to hear. <sighs> yeah, let's see. I'm, this is classic. Put the old zip disk in. That little noise right there. Mm. Oh, yeah. That's it. And it does it over and over. And that's how you knew. You knew you were you were <laughs> you were done. You were done. <laughs> what data? What data? The heartbreak of bad storage problems with large PSD files. Yeah. Well, and I lost back then too. I mean, I was doing you know some video editing and the first iterations of After Effects and stuff. And so, I mean, granted, it was like three twenty. Uh, 640 video, you know, but you'd put hours into these projects on the school's machines, you know, three hours into your project that day, and then go home and put another three or four hours into it on your own machine, and then bring it back up to school and you get click of death. Mm -hmm. But I think what my mistake was back then, and I don't know that this to be true, but Chris, you remember you could hook these up via Parallel or SCSI. Yeah, there was rumors that sometimes that would mess it up. Right. The ones at school were SCSI. Mine at home, because I couldn't afford a SCSI card in my AMD 350 tower, uh, I had to rely on Parallel port. So I think that was my problem. And so I ended up with so many just destroyed projects that I would just sit at the school all hours of the night and work on my project there. Oh, you know, I've lost too many projects. Maybe things are a lot better in that regard. Like I was saying, some things are so much better now. Now I have terabytes of storage on the network. I have terabytes of storage in the cloud. My laptops have terabytes of storage in them. It's so much better now. Disk storage, it's really hard to appreciate just how dramatic of a change it is. Because I think we always think about things in terms of like RAM, CPU, and video, and we've kind of stopped really thinking about storage. Oh, it's changed. Well, uh, now that I'm a little bummed out about those memories of lost projects, what do you say we pick things up with a little Friday Stream Millionaire? Well, after taking some time off, it's important that we take a moment and give away some video games. In fact, stocked more than ever, thanks to Jill, we have some great games to give away, and we have a new contestant joining us on the Friday Stream Millionaire Game, for the first time, it is our new special guest, Jackie. Jackie, are you ready to play Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I am so ready. <laughs> I love it. I like the enthusiasm. That's good. All right, let's do this thing. All right, for $100, what is used to drive a nail? A spoon, a pitchfork, a screwdriver, or a hammer. While I want to say screwdriver, it's definitely hammer. Final answer. All right, busting out the final answer. All right, locking that in. And <laughs> surprise, surprise. Well, maybe not. You are correct. For $200, whose nose grows every time he tells a lie? Kermit the Frog, Donald Duck, Pinocchio, or Mickey Mouse? 
I just want to point out that uh, most of those options don't even have noses. <laughs> Pinocchio. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm assuming final answer then. Yeah, final answer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are correct. <laughs> Very good. All right, moving on to $300. Now, Jackie, if you get to $1,000, we're going to give away one game today to somebody in the audience. If you make it to $32,000, we're going to give away two games. So let's try to get you to 1000 So for $300, which of the following breakfast cereals is not produced by Kellogg's? Crispex, Apple Jacks, Lucky Charms, or Fruit Loops? You do have three lifelines as well. Oh, gosh. Not produced by Kellogg's. Crispex, Apple Jacks, Lucky Charms, or Fruit Loops? I don't even. I don't even eat cereal. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> don't either. We have we have phone a cheesy as well as ask the chat room. All right, tell me those options one more time. All right, not Kellogg's, Crispex, Apple Jacks, Lucky Charms, or Fruit Loops. I'm trying to like play the commercials from my childhood. That's that's exactly what I'm thinking too. You know, what? I'm gonna go with Lucky Charms. I think it's Lucky Charms. Okay, all right. Locking in Lucky Charms. Final answer? Final answer. Okay, here we go. You are correct. Yes. Well done. Well done. Thought I was going to lose it on $300 question. <laughs> <laughs> no, you did it for $500. What is the square root of 25? 1, 5, 10, or 12? 5. Final answer. Five, submitting that to the computer. And the computer says, your math checks out. You are correct. Score. All right, very good. Now, for the $1,000 question, this is the first game giveaway right here. What color is the top half of a Campbell's soup can label? Blue, red, white, or gold? Red, final answer. Oh, confident with the final answer, too. All right. You got it. That was so much you suspense. I was, like, I, was like, I was like, there's no way I got this wrong. <laughs> Congratulations. We, we're, giving away one of the, we're giving away a game. Stand by. Let's see if we can't give away two games. Let's see if we can't get you to $32,000. All right, let's do it. Jackie, for $2,000, who is not one of the seven dwarfs? Dopey, Goofy, Doc, or Sneezy? Goofy. Final answer. All right. You are correct. That's that took way too much thinking. I was like, wait, Goofy, he's a dog. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they throw you off a little bit sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, for $4,000. How many inches tall was the original King Kong in real life? The movie King Kong in real life. What? How many inches tall was the original movie King Kong? In real life. It's a weird one, isn't it? 8 inches, 18 inches, 28 inches, or 38 inches. So I think what they're asking is, how big was the prop? How big was the prop? Okay. How many inches tall was the original movie King Kong in real life? You still have all three lifelines. All right. I'm going to have to use a uh, a lifeline on this one. Yeah. All right. Let's do the 50-50. All right. Computers removed two wrong answers. There are just two left now. 18 and 28. 
Huh. All right, we're gonna go with eighteen. Final answer. I like it. All right. Okay. I'll. I'll. I'm. I'm. I'm with you. All right. Submitting that to the old computer. You got it. <laughs> you got it. I'm putting this up to be- beginner's luck here because that was sheer guessing. <laughs> I'm thinking like how much like they want it big enough for detail, but not too big that they couldn't work with it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, for $8,000, what game do players flip winks in? What game do players flip winks in? Toddly winks? Tadly winks? Toddly winks? Tiddly winks? Uh, <laughs> the only one of those that sounds vaguely familiar is Tiddly winks. Uh huh, uh huh. So, yeah, I'm going to go with that. Final answer. All right. Okay. All right. I can't believe it. Nice. <laughs> you got it. I, I can't believe it. You, All right, you're just one away now from $32,000. So for $16,000, what language has the most words? English, Spanish, German, or French? Um, English, Spanish, German, or French? Huh. If you still have lifelines, you could phone a cheesy or you could ask the chat room. Hmm. You get to that 32,000, you get that one right. We're giving away two games. Yeah. Let's phone a cheesy. All right, Mr. Bacon, prepare yourself. We're about to call you up and we're going to phone a friend. Hey, cheesy. Hi. Hey, girl. What language (laughs) has the most words? English, Spanish, German, or French? You got 20 seconds. Eisenhower. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I'm going to go with I'm I'm pretty sure it's English Yeah, you feeling good about that? Because Well, well, because um, Not to be like a conceited American But um, Or (laughs) Brit Anyway But just because people Commonly say that The English language is so hard to learn Because Sure You know, there's so many different variations And pronunciations And the way words are spelled I would say English all right, Cheesy. Thank you. You're out of time. Thanks, Cheese. You heard him, Jackie. What do you think? English, Spanish, German, or French? I'm going to agree with Cheese, and we do borrow from, like, every other language. So, yeah, English. Final answer. All right. Okay. Locking it in, huh? Yeah, you got it. Yay! You got it. Yeah, all right. Thank you, Cheese. $32,000. If we get this one right, then we're giving away another game. Two games in one episode is pretty good. All right. We can do this. Kibophobia is the fear of what? What a phobia? I'm probably saying this one wrong. Kibophobia. C I B O P H O B I A. Kibophobia. Kibophobia. <laughs> is, is the fear of what? Food, money, clocks, or time? Kibophobia. And you do still have that one lifeline. You do still have Ask the Chat Room. No, I think I think I've heard this before, and I think it's a. Uh... Uh, related to an eating disorder. So I'm going to say fear of food. Wow, that sounds like the worst thing. Okay, food, final answer. Final answer. Yeah, you got it. Awesome. (laughs) You got it. All right, we're giving away two games. Boy, if we get to a million, we're going to give away three. Nice. Let's see if we get that far. All right, so for $64,000, whose working uniform is called a turnout? Whose working uniform is called, quote, his turnout? A fireman, a policeman, an electrician, or a paramedic? Hmm. 
fireman, I think. You feel good about that? feel pretty good about that. Final answer? Yeah, final answer. Turn out. All right. You got it. Ooh, yay. Yeah, you're on a roll. I am on a roll. <laughs> this is so much fun. All right. We're getting really close. We're just three away from the million-dollar question. Wait, now how many times have you gotten to a million? Once. Once? Okay. Yep, you'll be our second contestant to ever make it there. Oh, gosh, that, that, that's a lot of pressure, but... All right, I'm on a roll. Let's, let's keep going. <laughs> For $125,000, who is the patron saint of casket makers? Casket? That's a thing? I, I, apparently. St. <laughs> Lawrence, St. Sebastian, St. Stephen, or St. Dominic? Um... <laughs> we do have that Ask the Chat Room left. Yeah, we're going to have to ask the chat room on this one. All right. All right. We can do that. All right. Very good. Chat room. We're now going to you. Please feel free to drop your answers in there. We'll be watching. Who is the patron saint of casket makers? St. Lawrence, St. Sebastian, St. Stephen, or St. Dominic? Chat room, you have 20 seconds. See you. Go ahead. Anybody, also those of you on Mumble or on Source Connector willing and able to participate in the IRC as well to help Jackie out here. Brent's taking a shot at it, it looks like. I'm seeing two different data points come in. It's not, I think I know which ones you can drop, but I don't think I know which ones are it. Can you say the saints again? All right, we have St. Lawrence, St. Sebastian, St. Stephen, and St. Dominic. Mostly I'm seeing St. Dominic come in. I believe in you guys. Here's what I didn't see, as I did not see St. Lawrence or St. Sebastian. Well, no, actually, okay. No, what I didn't see is, actually, I didn't see much of Dominic or Lawrence. So B and C both have a 46 or 45%. 46 went with B, 45 went with C. So B is St. Sebastian, and C is St. Stephan. I'm going to go with St. Stephan. Yeah? Yes. Are we uh, final answering that? We're not entirely sure, but we're final answering it. (laughs) Okay, here we go. You got it! Oh, God, really? <laughs> you got it! Oh, nice. <laughs> this is great. All right, okay. Thank you, chat room. <laughs> now, we are out of lifelines, but we are only two away from a million dollars. So for $250,000, how many meters are there in half a kilometer? 100, 300, 500, or 700? Okay, give me, uh, tell me those options again, please. How many meters are in half of a kilometer? 100, 300, 500, or 700? Oh, 500. Final answer. Oh, I like I like that boom. All right, locking it in. <laughs> yeah, and you got it. That was a shockingly easy one at the at the high top there. <laughs> All right, here we go for $500,000. How many gallons of sap are needed to make 1 gallon of maple syrup? 1 10, 50, or 100? Oh, gosh. I watched, I've watched a whole documentary on this. Um, I'm going to say 10. Like a 10 to 1 kind of ratio. Yeah. I still, you'd think it'd be a lot, right? Right. It, okay, no, it's a... Is it... A, oh, sorry. Can you say the question again? Is it uh Mm-hmm. How many gallons of sap to make one gallon of maple syrup? Oh, one gallon of maple syrup. Okay. Um, and sorry, tell me the answers one more time, please. One, ten, fifty, or a hundred? 
Hmm. Actually, I'm gonna go with fifty. Yeah. All right. Seems like that's a that's a pretty fair amount. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna go with fifty. Final answer. Final answer. You got it. Oh. <laughs> you got it. You got it. That suspense is is a killer right there. <laughs> now for one million dollars. How many astronauts walked on the moon during each Apollo moon landing mission? How many astronauts walked on the moon during each Apollo moon landing mission? One, two, three, or four? Um, I believe that is four. Final answer. Okay, final answer. Sorry. Oh no. No, I, it was two. It was two. It was Aww. two. You know when I when I was I thought that might not be it. I wasn't sure what the answer was for that last one, but I was thinking to Apollo eleven, and how I knew there were only two guys in Apollo eleven. Yeah. And so I thought it must be that. I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure. Yeah, you did. Oh, I think we should still give away the game. What do you think? Yes. Since you got all the way there, right? Totally. All right, we're giving away a game. Jackie, that makes you our number two contestant right there on the old Friday stream. Congratulations. Oh, that makes me happy. Thank you. (laughs) Well done. Well done. And we will be giving away three games. That's a record, too, for the show. So how about that? Awesome. Well, again, Jackie, thank you so much for doing that. I know it's like we bring you on the show and then we throw you in a millionaire, but you did great. You're you're a number two spot now. So I got to give a little bit of a heads up. I hate to do this. The audience knows how much this drives me crazy, but I've decided to make the life easier for everyone on the team. There will not be a Friday stream next week because everybody is packing up to travel into the studio. So I thought it would really be nice if they didn't have to spend the Friday they're packing doing a show. Crazy, right? So we've decided to take next Friday off, and then we'll be back the following Friday with everyone in studio. So that should be crazy. In a way, all of us have an El Guapo to face someday. For some, shyness might be their El Guapo. For others, a lack of education might be their El Guapo. For us, El Guapo is a big dangerous guy who wants to kill us. Thank you for joining us today, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the Friday stream. Jackie, it was great hanging out with you. Thank you for inviting me. It was a lot of fun today. All right, Cheesy, one more time. Who are we listening to on the way out of here? We are listening to Akaw, uh, <laughs> A-K-A-W, um, surf rock band out of Austin. Um, again, thank you to Jackie and a plug for Sirens of Scream. Check her podcast out and help her get unbanned from Twitter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or just grow, grow our new Twitter, for that matter. <laughs> Also, thank you to Jill for the game giveaway. He's been coordinating that in the live stream. We'll be talking about that in the post show. Guys, I will see you back here in two weeks for a special in-studio edition of the Friday stream. Thank you for joining us. See you not next week.
Byte is building a robot. A rad robot. Soon we won't have to leave our, yeah, we won't have to leave our homes because Byte will have built a telepresence robot that will go in our place. Oh, that's great. About time, I'd say. I'm building it so it can be 3D printed and uh, with standard components like Raspberry Pi and uh, just Wi-Fi and an LCD screen. And then from remote, you can do some basic um, controls. So by, I, I want to be a beta tester. Uh, so just let me know when I no longer have to leave my RV and uh, I'm on board. So are you using the uh, Raspberry Pi to power the servos and all of that to move the robot? Yeah, that's the idea. And it's just um, uh, a, a two-motor uh, drive, so forwards and uh, uh, turning, and even with a base with uh, key charging in it. So if you don't want it running around on your desk, you put it on the charge point and it can uh, rotate while charging. What? By it's actually building Jetson stuff. That's cool. Yeah, that sounds pretty incredible. You know what we should mention, though? Because one of the things that's totally worth uh, mentioning before we wrap up the post show here, we're not done yet. We can still talk about this. This is actually really cool. Go check out the new linuxacademy.com website. New redesigned website looks so slick. I like that. Man, you sang that great. Oh, man, I'm excited. I'm ex- I, I, I know they've been working hard. It does look really good. Mm-hmm. It's, it looks great. They really did a good job. Yep. So, yeah, and, and on top of that, they've been cranking out those closed captions, too, for a bunch of the courses. Fire, I mean, launching a new website, doing the closed caption stuff, and that's just like a portion of some of the stuff they're working on. Yeah, they've been steadily, steadily building up the closed captions, and now I think almost 100% of the courses are closed captioned, uh, if not 100%. And that's super great for people, you know, that have accessibility. Yeah, they're doing it in stages. Not all of them yet, but it's close. Yeah, if you're out of the region or you're hearing impaired, I mean, that's excellent. Excellent move for them. 